Welcome to It Can Be Said. My name is Will Calling. I'm joined as always by the one, the only, my beloved laptop, which did not die after I spilled a drink over it yet. Please don't die again. Please don't die again. I'm also joined by two people who I've known for years and are sentient beings, but I don't spend as much time with them as I spend with my laptop. Yeah, how are you, Luke? How are you, Simon? <laughs> love, love you, baby. Never leave me again. Uh, which which one of us do you want to go? Well, you confuse me. Uh, I, I I was talking to my laptop. You, you go first, Luke. All right, I'm great because I've had a week off, and it's like my whole being is just breathed out after about six months of continuous stress. And I'm re- I'm really not looking forward to going back to work tomorrow. Although fortunately, I am easing myself in because I work I work from home on Mondays. But even so. Use your annual leave, kids. It's great. You know, I, I actually had COVID last weekend, so I haven't done anything. I haven't been out the house. It's fantastic. Like, seriously, just <coughs> spend more time doing absolutely nothing. I heartily recommend it. I'm not sure I'm I could... so chilled out. It's unreal. I'm not sure I could spend more time doing absolutely nothing. Like, literally. Because my plans for this weekend was work, and I couldn't do that on Saturday because my laptop was dead uh, temporarily. And then, like Jesus Christ himself, it rose again. Um, I I just slept. <laughs> like, literally, I, I got out of bed properly at, like, noon. Yeah, I then had a nap at uh, about, around about 3.30 until about 6-ish. I then fell asleep before ten o'clock, and didn't wake up until until noon today. Like, yeah, I, I've 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 been I've been doing that a lot this week. It's been fucking awesome. I mean, I think the thing for me is like, and also you... like, also like, you can tell I really needed it because it's not so much the teaching; it was the finishing of the book that yeah. really took it out of me, and I've never had a chance to like unwind since that. I, and, like, um, this has been this, this has been such a welcome week for like well my physical health like I didn't feel great with COVID I was sort of a bit achy and a bit of a bad cold but from about Wednesday onwards I was fine. I um I well, my son is now back in the UK so I no longer need to stay up till one o'clock in the morning but it is proven more difficult. Then I uh, fought to kind of break that habit after getting used to it. <coughs> I tell you, I tell you what I did do. I did finally get round to reading David Clegg and Kieran Andrews' book about Alex Salmon and Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, really interesting. Alex Salmon, total wrong un. Although you do kind of feel, you kind of feel sorry for him is the wrong word, but you do kind of feel sad for him because he comes across as a very lonely man. Yes. Um, a sort of a very isolated man. Um, and yeah, Nicholas Surgeon comes across really badly in that book. And like how, how the whole setup with her and Peter Morrill, how that survived any kind of governance test, I have no idea. Cause it wouldn't. It, like, yeah. He he should have been made to give up that job when she became leader. I mean, to be honest, he he probably should have been made to give it up when she became deputy leader. Because the the conflicts of interest are just they just abound. They're just all over the place. Well, it's not even that, but it's like, uh, and we will bring someone in a second. But it's like it's not even that. But it's like it's the the danger of appearances of conflict of interest. Yeah, like, 
your chief executive is meant to be a bag man. He's meant to be expendable. Well, he clearly isn't expendable if he's the husband of the first minister. Like, you know, the whole point of that role, it's meant to be a buffer between the finance side of the party and the political leadership. And it just can't do that if they're so close personally. I've yeah. never liked that. It's it's a really bad idea. And I think the fact that it's been tolerated. And like, still, he's still there. He's not quit yet. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's really it's, been it's it's really sign, bad. It's a sign the SNP aren't a normal party. Um, how, how are you, Simon? No, I, I, I'm also fine. I seem to have lifted from whatever extremely poor mood I had last week. Uh, I assume next week will be terrible and full of work, but it's been a very pleasant, it's been a very, I've had a very, I've had a very pleasant weekend of, you know, bit, bit, of, bit of art, bit of, you know, booking of holidays, you know, bit of having a lazy Saturday night. So yeah, and no you, get to, you get to do your fate. You get you get to go on trains, Simon. So you're very I, well. I mean, th- yes, I am very excited because I'm. I, I was saying before we started, like, I we book yeah. we book. We By booked the way, a- can, can we just say, like, before we before we started recording, you made fun of me when when I asked you where you're going, which country you're going to. And then you proceeded to list two countries you're going to. No, I, I realised this. Which, yeah, that, 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 come on. <laughs> I was, I was, be, I was being, un, I was being slightly unfair and a bit flippant, and I apologise for that. But yeah, it's the thing because I booked these. I booked a trip, you know, on the we're going to Paris on the Eurostar, and then um, the TG, the TGV down to Barcelona, which will be really lovely, um, and then ending up in Valencia. Um, as well so that'll be really nice the problem is i've done it's that it's that annoying thing with booking holiday I mean, you know we've all we've all you know we've all done you've all everyone's done this i think you you book all the different elements and essentially spend the money and or you know and and you get very excited about it and then you go oh yeah it's not for another month oh it's not yeah it's actually not for another six seven weeks oh yeah i've got to actually go back to work on monday and not on a nice holiday that's disappointing <laughs> that's not the way i do holidays <laughs> Like I don't, I just don't do holidays at the moment. I haven't got the money for them. But um, I think my best one was is I paid for a flight to Trinidad. My last time I went to Trinidad, I think I got permission to go um, less than a week before I flew. <laughs> yes, the the idea the idea of Will preparing anything in advance is is a total anathema to, to Will. Well, we know this is the thing. Like I actually do like to organise things in advance. Just not that much. <laughs> so, uh, um, your analysis of what counts as in advance is not on the same day it's happening. Though. Well, no, see, this is the weird thing about me. It's like I will do things at the last minute if I have to, um, because in that in that case, it was getting permission for my then wife to for, to to go to Trinidad, um, which I got by by uh, by paying by uh, paying more for our honeymoon so we could go to her preferred destination. This is why I've not I've not been on a proper holiday abroad since 2015 because in the space of a year or no in the space of like eight months I went to Zimbabwe, Trinidad, and Mauritius. No, I'm sorry, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't, that... been, I haven't been on a. You know, the last time I went on a holiday abroad, Simon, was when when we all went to Spain. Yeah, but how how, how is, you know? I I know I'm aware it's firstly you know holidays can be less chaotic than that. Um, but secondly, like Luke, Luke I, doesn't Luke doesn't like the abroad. It's full of foreigners. No, I don't. Well, no, you, you know, 
in all seriousness, I don't like to travel. I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea of my wheelchair getting broken. Yes. Yeah. I no. Like, I, I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's actually been a there's, there's someone's starting to raise a campaign about how oh, um, shocking yeah, uh, aeroplanes are. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, Lu- Lu- Lucy Webster. Yeah, no, there are very. I mean, Lucy's one of them. Yeah. There are loads of people. I've seen Frank Gardner talk about it. I've seen. Yeah. I mean, in moderate, like with moderate seriousness, it's it's if you did want to travel abroad, it is it is a re- argument to go by train rather than by plane. Yeah. Because I, I I was I was I was going to I was going to a European security conference in Portugal like last year, and I like trying to find. A accessible, a properly accessible hotel, not just one that says it's accessible, mm. one that actually is, that was anywhere near the conference site and didn't cost me an absolute fortune, was completely impossible. I mean, and this is in Lisbon, by the way, this isn't somewhere out in the sticks, this mm. is a major European city. I mean, it is, tr- I mean, look, there's a lot of things that are wrong with this country when it comes to yeah. dis- disabled access. But actually, you go on the continent, you you realise how advanced we are. Like I remember going years ago now. So this would be this would be just would it be just before the pandemic? I think it was just before the pandemic. To um, no, it may have been the year before. Going to um, Oberhausen in Germany, which is it's kind of it's kind of Wolverhampton to Dusseldorf's Birmingham. It's kind of like its relationship to uh, its like regional capital. Ah, the uh, industrial basin. Um, like only I get to open house and it's like, yeah, this feels like home to be honest. Um, but um, like we, there was there was there was a wheelchair user who was like part of our party of British wrestling fans going for the wrestling, and he had all sorts of issues because like, you know, like I'm not saying people are sweetness and sunshine when a disabled person wants. Um, <laughs> ramps being brought out or doors being opened, but like the Germans were making no attempt to hide how annoyed they were and what an inconvenience it was. Um, like you know, it was, it was quite rude to the poor guy. Um, so yeah, and no, I, I, I mean, my dad has my dad can't fly because he's got ulcers in his leg, yeah. So he's done things like the train, so he's gone on the Orient Express, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I used I used to I, I used to travel more than I did when I was in when I was in my twenties. But I just I can't be bothered with the stress. I can't be bothered with the stress of it anymore. I'm sure part of it as well is is that just to go home you have a long journey. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't yeah that does that's the thing I'm sort of saying you know we'll go on the train. But I mean for us to try to get to you know the Eurostar, well it's in the city we live in. Yeah. yeah, for you that's already a five-hour trip to get down here, right? Basically, oh, eight, no. eight, eight minimum. It, really? that, that little. Well, actually, yeah, prob- probably to actually get because you you got to think it's for me it's a, for me it's at least an hour and a half to get to a train station. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I hadn't sort of yeah, I because yeah. like for, for for me to get to you from oh, I'm in Wolverhampton, which is fairly northernly. Yeah. Um, it's about six or seven hours to get to yours. Yeah, I mean, you can't. It depends. You can get the. Um, you can get the. You can get a train that is like three stops to King's Cross, which will get you there in about five hours if you want to. Yeah, if you want to pay for it. Mm. Oh yeah, because I remember the last time I was at yours. Yeah, a long time ago now. I, I need to come up at some point, but um, 
The last time I was at yours, I was going to go straight to London for a wrestling show. Yeah. Um, and then I decided I couldn't be asked, and I was going to go home. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough of this train related. Yes. Speaking of speaking about travel between the different parts of the United Kingdom. Whoa! Whoa! What a segue. Yes. <laughs> um. Um. We had the Windsor Framework, which is uh, Wishy Sunak and uh, Ursula von der Leyen. You know, as Rob Hutton said, you know, prefects of two neighbouring single-sex private schools announcing that there'll be a joint prom and they've got special permission from teachers for it to go on until 11pm. Um, also, Simon... just, does the Windsor framework not sound a little bit like a Robert Ludlum novel to anybody? Uh, it It's not the sexiest title, is it? it, it it's not going <laughs> to stick. Like, it's Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, but uh, Simon, as the Remainer amongst us, what did well, you make? What did you, you make actually, of? Sorry, you actually said on Twitter, Simon, that you've been finally defeated by Brexit because you just didn't care. That, it, it, that was so. Yeah, lo, there's a large part, and I think this will be so. There's yes. Um, to quote myself, it was a point that there was a point at which I just went. Okay, it's another. Di- but <coughs> to be fa- like when it came through, the bits I, I, my you know, sort of, from what I can see, you know, this is a, this is a very good. This seems to be, you know, a very good deal for Northern Ireland. It seems, that, and, and it, I think it will answer most of the questions that people have. It is going to make it a damn sight easier to transfer to move goods between um the great great britain and northern ireland it's uh you know the green lanes thing seems to be good i mean so when i think of green lanes i think of excellent turkish food but um the <laughs> but like i think this is a very you know this seems to be a deal that sold answer most questions and i think what then what that therefore means is as you know we you know i i was listening as i um I was listening to Steve Baker, who was talking to Matt Chorley, primarily actually because he was talking about his depression, which I I, I found a very moving um, piece. And actually, I found listening to that, I was like, oh, oh, I think I've been slightly depressed the last week or so. That's interesting. But like, and it's it, I, it's it's gone, and it's you know it seems to have lifted a bit, and I'm, I'm yeah better than I was. But like, I find I, I I was listening to that, but they were also talking about because it was recorded this week about the Windsor um, the Windsor Protocol. Is it the, it's it's the Windsor Protocol, isn't it? No, is it Windsor, Windsor, Windsor Framework. That it it isn't a good name. I mean, let's be clear about this. It doesn't. I'm not sure how much that's going to matter because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say it here, guys. It might move polls a little bit for a bit, but in terms of actually changing the Conservatives' political fortunes, I don't think it's going to do a great deal of good because, let's be honest, who cares? Like, people don't care about Northern yeah. Ireland. Most people barely know it's there. Well, well, before we get on to the kind of impact in GB, I mean, can I, can I summarise what I think this deal does mm. in a pithy phrase that may, may or may not be offensive? To I don't think we do have any Northern Irish listeners, but uh, if, they, if there were any, Let's this not might be, be to Northern Irish people. This, this nice. might be this might be offensive, but this is a garden shed deal for garden shed prods, garden centre prods. Even so, I got I got I got the reference wrong, in the sense of what if you actually look at the detail of this, 
it's probably a bit less than meets the eye. But what this will do is most plants, not all plants, but most plants that people want to buy in garden centres from the UK, they'll now be able to. If you want to send a parcel to the UK or receive a parcel from the UK, you'll be able to. If you want to order something from Amazon, um, that's only or any other of the many great suppliers of, of goods that um, from, from Great Britain. You'll now be able to get it in Northern Ireland. That's a night. And of course, if you want to get, you know, British produce, you no know, great British produce in, you know, in the supermarkets or other chain shops, you'll be able to do that as well. Like that's the stuff this is really trying to address. And, and, and I should also, that also extends hospitality as well. Um, so I think what it does is it probably guts the really visible elements of the protocol. You know, like the bits where it's like, no, you can't have that anymore. We're not going to let you have that in Northern Ireland. Um, um, now, part of that is the fact that the protocol was loony bananas. Like the protocol just, you know, either due to the way it was written or the way the Europeans interpreted it, just made absolutely no sense. Like obviously most famously, which this deal also uh, resolves, is they had accidentally put Northern Ireland in a position where it couldn't get any medicines because it was kind of this black hole where in the EU, the European, the European Medicines Agency uh, approves medicines. In Great Britain, Britain approves medicines. Who approves medicines in Northern Ireland? I don't know. Um, so that's good. Probably go. Will probably make it a more palatable thing to have. Um, that's. It's important to kind of win over that kind of affluent middle class, Protestant uh, group because obviously they're the they're probably the swing voters if there's ever a border poll. Um, no, so you want to kind of make sure that they're happy and they're content. Um, actually. There are still big economic issues left over of this, you know, like um, the farming lobby was saying this weekend, it still hasn't properly dealt with the issue of moving uh, li um, live uh, livestock across the um, Irish Sea. Um, no, it was billed as having solved that issue, but you actually look at a small print, all it does is make it easier to bring northern irish livestock back if they've had a quick trip over to the uk over to the great over to great britain i.e they've gone to a cattle market not been sold and need to be brought back to the uh, form of origin what broader type of trade hasn't necessarily been solved as much there is still going to be border infrastructure you know there is still going to be you no know, these red lanes and green lanes these are going to be things that are going to have to be built um and and you know there is still going to be paperwork. I think it's from eighty pieces of paperwork down to twenty eight. That's no obviously twenty eight is a lot less than eighty. It's a lot more than zero though. Um, so some of the bigger trade issues haven't been resolved. The constitutional stuff, you know, like it feels a bit. It feels a lot like Norway. This is, you know, ironically, Northern Ireland now has a very Norwegian version of Brexit, and the Stormont Break, which lots of people getting themselves confused about, 
feels an awful lot like Norway's um, uh, uh, emergency break. You know, Norway and Switzerland, uh, for that matter, they can say this piece of this piece of legislation coming through, we don't like, we don't want it to apply. Um, but, but obviously, the EU can retaliate. Um, the the way that the 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 it is written is very interesting. It is tied very closely to the petition of concern mechanism, which is not popular amongst the non-unionist parties because of because no until recently the DUP ha was the only party that could pull it by itself. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that works in practice. It'll be interesting to see, because the way it works is you have to kind of, it can only, the swimming break can only be pulled on meaningful, if, it, if the proposed change is going to have a meaningful impact on life in Northern Ireland. We don't know who determines that. I would assume it would be the Speaker of the Assembly who determines that. You know, it's you know, is this motion in scope? You know, in the same way, um, the 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 you know, the presiding officer in uh, in Holyrood has to do that. You know, is this within the scope of the devolved Parliament's powers? And if the break is pulled, that then is some sort of cross-community vote, which is a bit not entirely clear what what role that has. And then it can go to the, it can go to the UK EU um, joint committee, and I think there's talk that the UK will promise that they will always side with Northern Ireland if this is if this dormant break is pulled. Um, and then obviously you then begin a process of negotiations to get to get a deal so it can the the break can be rescinded. So. It's not a terrible deal. It's probably a deal that's been oversold. I think the key thing is, more than the, the actual context of the deal and all the details, is that Rishi Sunak is really happy with it. And Rishi, the reality of it is, is Rishi Sunak is, at most, at, sorry, at least, the second most Eurosceptic person to be Prime Minister since... Atley, um, you know, like it's it's him or Boris Johnson, but you can make an argument for Howard Wilson. Um, so if he's happy with this, if he's determined to get rid of the Northern Ireland Protocol, DUP hasn't <clears throat> the DUP hasn't got any alternative between accepting this deal. Or at least saying that this deal is not so egregious that it has to continue its boycott of Stormont, or coming out quite explicitly in favour of soft Brexit, because the only the only alternative to, to a deal like this now is all of the UK is in a customs mm. union, all of the UK um, stays aligned with the EU on that, all of the UK. Accepts a common rule book when it with Europe when it comes to um, um, goods, um, and the problem which, let, which, which let's face it, he can say what he wants, but that is what Keir Starmer is driving at. Oh, it's a perfectly sensible approach, but the problem the DUP have 
is the people who are least happy with this deal on like unionist grounds, so people like Ian Paisley, people like Sammy Wilson, are also the people keenest for hard Brexit. And I wrote about this in my City AM column this week, or last week now. Um, you know, look, there's always been a suspicion that the reason why some of the more um, idiosyncratic elements of the DUP I, see, um, and I thought you were going to say idiotic, which would also be correct. <laughs> um, of the DUP supported Brexit was that they wanted a hard border. And that the the gamble was, is that no Brexit was their way of getting a hard border back, um, reaffirming the Britishness of Northern Ireland, but also stopping what I think some more paranoid members of the DUP fear is happening which is this slow drift into the economic orbit of Dublin. Um, and like, look, okay, it's a theory. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure hard border is actually very popular amongst the DUP's voters, particularly those outside of like, kind of like the core of a doubt in the Northeast of uh, Northern Ireland. You know, when you get to places near the border, the big farming constituencies, they don't want a hard border. Um, but like, look, if this government, this Tory party elected on a pro-Brexit majority, at the, you know, if this is not, if this government is not willing to consider going toward the Europeans over where there will be a border with, on the island of Ireland, no British government is ever going to do it. You know, we, you know, we can all read the opinion polls, we can all read the attitude surveys. No, we've hit. No, we are. We are past peak hostility to the European Union in Britain. And, and the desire for there to be close relations between Britain and the European Union are only going to intensify. That's due to demographic change. That's due to the implementation of Brexit being botched. That's due to the geopolitical situation changing, such as with the war in Ukraine, <clears throat> you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so look, again, it comes back to do do are you happy for Great Britain to have a hard Brexit, and there be special relations, special arrangements for Northern Ireland, or do you want all of 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 the United Kingdom to have a soft Brexit when it comes to to goods? And the DUP has never been able to give people a straight answer on this question, which is why it keeps getting steamrollers. You know, you know, if you stand in the middle of the road, you get run over by traffic from both directions. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what I think. What do you think, Luke? Well, I mean, A, Theresa May's deal looks better by the week. I mean, okay, Can I just say one thing on that? What? Yes. But I think we do have to remember, when we think of Theresa May's deal, we think about it how, how we think it should have been in, implemented. Who knows what the Europeans would have done with that deal if they'd got a chance to implement it? Fair point. Fair point. Um, I mean, I think, I think this. I think, yeah, I think I agree with most of what you said, but I think this puts the DUP in an interesting position because obviously they can only pull this break if Stormont is up and running. Yes. Yes, it's not. And... It's, so, can we just say as well, sorry, Luke, just, just a point of fact. <sighs> 
it's not like the consent vote that Johnson won. <coughs> that that will that can occur whether regardless of whether Stormont's in place or not. This Stormont break needs the executive to be up and running. Yeah. It so can't the, be used if if the executive's not up and running. So that puts the EU that puts the DUP in an interesting position because you can dislike this deal on the grounds that it doesn't it doesn't affect the jurisdiction of the ECJ. You can dislike this deal on constitutional grounds. But if Stormont <coughs> if Stormont <coughs> if Stormont isn't operating, there is always the possibility that you know new EU legislation on various agri uh, various agricultural goods or some major section of the Northern Ireland economy will come into force and you won't be able to do anything about it. I think having it modelled on the petition of concern is really interesting because it massively reinforces that as part of yes. as part of the structure of Stormont um, for good or ill. I think, going to Simon's point about the domestic implications of this, I think, A, it is good news for Rishi Sunak when he desperately needed some good news. B, I think in the longer run, probably the most successful, probably the biggest thing it's going to do for Rishi Sunak is to break the mythology of the ERG as this all-powerful group that is incredibly cohesive and can stop a Tory prime minister doing, doing you know, can stop a Tory prime minister dead in his tracks. The fact is the ERG has shrunk considerably over the last year or so. Was it something like less than, are... less than 40 turned up to that uh, meeting on Tuesday? Yeah. So you really are down to the headbangers now. Um, I mean, I also, th- I also think that, that... I also think that, like, the idea... Because one of the things I've seen floated in opposition to this agreement is what it's really designed to do is to stop the UK as a whole from um, diverging from the EU when it comes to, to regulations on goods. And, like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I don't know about you, Will. As a fellow Brexiteer, I was not jumping up and down for joy in 2016 because we got to determine our own length of widget. It's like some people can get really. It's like you can't. There's a there is a there is a type of Brexiteer that cannot see the wood for the trees, and also cannot see Brexit for what it is, which is a process rather than a destination. Um, I think, yeah, like I mean, it's two things in there. Like one, vote leave clearly said that they would stick to a lot of these regulations or yeah. stick with alignment. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like the one thing, like I almost lost my temper with a very good Anoush, uh, how do you pronounce her surname? I've forgotten. Chicalian. Chicalian article. Yeah. Which I didn't. I, I took, like, I, I, I held my breath and make the more relevant point and then arguing over Brexit because it's, she does drop in a global Britain reference. And it's like, guys, come on. Dominic Cummins, the one thing he did to ensure the referendum was won 
is he refused to indulge that global Britain nonsense. It's not popular. It's not popular. Pete, no one voted for for Brexit. Well, okay, that's not true. No, most people who voted for Brexit did not vote for global Britain because it would be insane to vote for Brexit for global Britain because you don't get global Britain by erecting trade barriers with your with your nearest neighbour, largest market in the world on your doorstep. Clearly, the point of Brexit is something different to global Britain. Um, and yeah, you know, like... I said at the time, you know, um, I called it uh, Super Jersey, former Brexit, you know, where we, you know, we stay in a customs union, we stay aligned on rules when it comes to goods. Um, and like, and, and then part of that is the Brussels effect, you know, like there, there is a limit to our ability to diverge from the Europeans because actual industry doesn't want us to diverge from the Europeans because they want the ability to sell the same thing in this country as they do on the continent. You know, it's perfectly sensible. So, whereas actually a lot when it comes to services, you know, emerging technologies, that's where having the freedom to set our own regulations, GDPR, GDPR um, becomes more useful. Um, The, the, so yeah, so like, but I, but I think, I think the point is right though. Like clearly this deal has even more so put us on a glide path to um, a, a, a close relationship with the Europeans, probably consummated when uh, Starmer's in office. Because, you know, like, I think some, I remember reading somebody looked into the detail of it and it talks about, you know, there may be a mechanism for stuff that gets imported into Great Britain to then be exported to Northern Ireland. But it's basically on the, the it's basically the mechanism would be we agree to have the same rules as Europeans. So that stuff's in the text already, waiting to be activated. You know, there's still, the, no, we said about livestock being an issue. You know, we all know what that solution is. And I'm sure it'll be done quite quickly when Keir Starmer comes in. I think the big impact this has when it comes to G, the GB politics is. And I think this is where I got it wrong, because I was looking at it very much of how do you revive power sharing? How do you solve that crisis? Clearly, Sunak does not want to go have a trade war with the Europeans over the North Island Protocol Bill. Um, and the, 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 the key thing he was trying to achieve with this in retrospect, with benefit of hindsight, wasn't getting power sharing back up and running, although I'm sure he wants it to be back up and running. It was to get him out of the commitment to pass the protocol bill, um, uh, which would have kicked off potentially quite a nasty trade war with the Europeans. You know, what he can now do is he can pull that bill. And it has to be said, like, I think people, people who are, people are saying that that protocol bill should still be impl- it be passed. Don't know what's in it because what Sunak has passed is basically what Sunak has agreed is basically what was in that protocol bill. That protocol bill envisaged red and green lanes, like it's a British idea. Um, this is what we've been asking to do for ages. So 
he can he can scrap that. He can evade a he can evade a trade war. He can get um, ourselves signed up to Horizon potentially. You know, blah 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 blah. Um, and you know, the benefit of that is um, a trade war would have had some negative impact on the economy, and mm. now that won't happen. And the news stories of us being in a trade with Europeans may have made a difficult situation in southern uh, southern Tory seats even worse. Um, so that's good. Um, just just on Northern Ireland, I do want to go just go back to Northern Ireland quickly. Uh, actually, no, before I do that, actually, Simon, I don't know if you want to ha- come back on anything about what it means for GB. No, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of. I think there's an addition. I think that that's it's interesting because almost all of the benefits for Sunak are essentially things won't get worse. Maybe I'm slightly overstating it there, which is like you know a trade war with the Europeans would make their situation worse. You know, not being able to get things working again would increase. I think the sense that, and look, I, I I speak as a broadly unsympathetic outsider. Let's put it that way. Um, but like Sunak. There was a sense of drift in this government. You know, they were well behind in the polls. There was a sense that they weren't achieving. You know, Sunak will paint. Uh, he can. It's, this is at least something that his government has done, and that they can paint as a win as an improvement on what was there before. And I think a lot of Conservative MPs, you know, I think w- this will be good for him internally inside the Conservative Party as well, because I think it will give him the opportunity to go. I've got something done, you know, I can and, and actually possibly give him a bit of bit of, you know, armor to go and hopefully possibly go and do other things as well. So I, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing with what you're saying, but I'm building on it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I, and I think this is the first time Sunak has seemed like a different type of Tory since he became prime minister, mm. which is at the heart of his appeal when he was chancellor. Um, and he has, to a certain extent, <laughs> successfully defined himself against his party, and I against mean, and against Boris Johnson. I mean, oh, I mean Johnson. Like he sounded like a broken man. I mean that's which is always a lovely thing to hear. Let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, it's we'll, we'll talk about him more later. But like, do we have to? Oh yeah, we know we do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you might you might want to resign yourself to talking about Boris Johnson a bit more over the next six weeks because I think uh, yeah no it's a fair it's, point it's uh, he's he's going to be back um, front and center but um, but yeah but like Johnson just I mean I think even Johnson realized deep down he couldn't actually oppose this full 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 throatedly because at the end of the day. It's just a development. It's an improvement over his own deal, um, um, it, no, in qu- quite significant ways. So yeah, like it's weird. It's it's it's, and the more you read, the more the weirder it is that the kind of ERG Johnsonites, which are two distinct groups, we should say, um got themselves arse over tea kettle to this extent on this issue. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Great phrase. Um, 
It's because like a lot of this had been agreed. By 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 all accounts, the the Red Lane stuff had been agreed by um David Frost. You know, a lot of the stuff with the Stormont break had actually been being had actually been cooked up by Liz Truss. So like there shouldn't have actually been that much that surprised people. <laughs> I think I think the the hope was if they made enough noise it could scare Sunak off from like sealing the deal. Well, I mean, <laughs> if if they genuinely thought that was the case, these people have lost all contact with political reality. Because, like, Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer offered to vote for it before he knew what he was voting for. Well, this is the thing that always used to annoy me, because I really think the press did not properly convey the lay of the land. Like, talking about the ERG, talking about the ERG, it's like they're not important. Because they, the votes aren't needed. Like the reason why the ERG became important was that you there was no route to majority for Brexit in the seventeen to nineteen Parliament that didn't involve all of the Conservative Party voting in favour. Um, and that's just not the case now. Um, you know, it's not the case even if you did have a party line split on 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 the vote. Um, it's certainly not the case when Labour says they're all going to vote for it. You know, the DUP are important, and, you know, we, we should stress why they're important, because, you know, we want power sharing to come back. You know, that is, you know, plans A through D of but, how Northern Ireland is governed. That's but, it, I like... mean, but, I mean, but, I mean, the thing is, like, the, <coughs> the DUP, the DUP are in a really odd position now, because... They're not gonna get they're not gonna get a better deal than this. So if, if they turn their noses up at this, they're essentially saying we won't re-enter power sharing for anything, not even if we get two Christmas. No, no, they they could get a better deal, which is soft Brexit for the whole of the UK. They they have to be honest, that's what they want. Yeah, well I, but they're not gonna do that because like you said, there's a significant block within the DUP, probably led by Ian Paisley Jr. and Sammy Wilson, that want the hardest of hard Brexit. Yeah. Um, now, the, now the, the thing is, that may, that may be unachievable. And they may be thick as mints. May. May. The, but the may. Thing is, the thing is, like... Is there substance thicker than mints? That is what you're holding out the may yeah. for. The, the, but the DUP, historically... Like their strength has been that you can never get a cigarette paper between any of them publicly on any issue of substance. You could go on issues of personality from time to time, but not on substance. Um, like you know, the, the the adamantine discipline of their party machine is kind of their defining character. It's kind of one of their defining characteristics. Yeah, but now, it's not. It's not been true for a while, though, has it? On policy, yeah, I think. I think. Look, every, I think what everybody kind of believes, or everybody is writing up, putting stuff by read. By the way, I finally got round to cancel my subscription to the Belfast Telegraph, and then this broke, and so I yeah, slink, that was bad. I had to slink back. Time. I had to slink back and renew my subscription. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> but, is, uh, it, is, is there a little cat flap that you have to crawl through? Yes, that's Sam McBride leering at me. Came crawling back, eh? Um, <laughs> but, um, but like, yeah, look, 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 I think everybody knows what the score is. The MLAs are more reasonable. There's there's more of them. There's there's greater but there's greater representation uh, from the areas that would be 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 badly impacted by a border poll. The benefits of the evolution obviously clearer because you know they get they get fully paid. They get to have ministerial roles. They get to do things for their constituents, and. And the people mm-hmm. left in Westminster are a bunch of rent-a-croats. Rent- yeah, got... they, they, get, they get to create massive boondoggles that, that <laughs> the rest of us will pay for, but, you know. So, so like, I think, you know, and, like, repeatedly through this process that that split has arised. Like, they thought they had Arlene Foster, like, they thought they had Arlene Foster in favour of the initial... Uh, declaration um, back in 2017 um, only for the MP to start causing trouble. So I I don't know, man. I mean, it does feel like the governments, the the British government, the European Commission could have done the DEP a favour by maybe waiting until May to do this deal. Um, um, Because you know they're gonna have to do this. They're gonna have to make a decision on this be- before the local elections, which is you know it's a tough pill to ask uh, the DUP to swallow when there's going to be an immediate reaction at the ballot box. Um, you know, a lot of people. I mean, this is probably hyperbole, but like uh, hyper hyperbole. Even so, I went all American there for a second. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the possibility of DUP splitting over this, and you can kind of see why because I can't see Sammy Wilson or Ian Paisley Jr. Well, like, look, look, Ian Paisley Jr. has already broken with party discipline. You know, it's meant to be wait and see, it's meant to be we're deliberating, and he's already broken that. I do think if Jeffrey Donaldson wants to accept this deal, which is what I think he does, he probably has made a mistake by waiting because all the anti all the anti framework forces and unionism are mobilizing quickly now and getting their ducks in a row. But like the problem with that is, isn't it? It's like the DUP is a devolutionist party. It wants devolution. And a lot of the people who are mobilizing against don't want devolution, don't want um, um, uh, the, 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 the uh, Belfast Agreement institutions to be revived. So, yes, yeah, so I, I, I don't see how the DUP escapes, at the very least, a, a, a break with some of its more extreme so you, so you So you think Sammy Wilson and Ian Paisley Jr. could end up going off with Jim Allister? Well, I wouldn't say, like, maybe you get, like, their face down and they just they just kind of, there's an agreement to disagree and they all stay in the same party. But, like, I don't think, not all of the DUP is going to agree to, to this. 
But equally, I can't see, I, ju I just can't see how the DUP is, 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 is going to be willing to, to, to do one of the two things. But I just don't, look, the DUP will not recant devolution. They believe in devolution. Devolution is important to them. So if you want devolution to happen, you've got two choices. You accept this deal. And like I think there's a very good chance that by accept this deal, they go, this deal is flawed. We're still not happy. We don't like it. We all campaign for changes, but we'll end our boycott of the institutions. Um, but, you know, let's be honest. If they go back into power sharing, that's accepting, accepting a new framework. Um, or they stay out and they start saying very explicitly they want soft Brexit for the whole of the UK. Um, and I'm sure, they're, because, I'm, sure they're, I'm sure they're friends of the ERG. We'll, we'll love that. Well, this is, they're not friends, are they? Like, this is well, the thing, isn't that, it? Yeah, I said it with sarcasm in my voice. Well, <laughs> um, um, you know, like, it's like Boris Johnson calling up the DUP to give him advice. It's like, guys, like, like seriously, what? Why are you still taking his calls? You know, like, <laughs> If the DUP was a woman, you'd be, you'd be, we'd all be going around their house saying, "Look, darling, you can do better down here. Don't listen to him. <laughs> you know, you know, you, know you, what, you know, you know what, you know what I'm picturing. I'm picturing all the interventions from how I met your mother, like the intervention banner. Look, I know he says he's changed, but don't believe him. He's a cat. Another <laughs> thing as well. So, thankfully, not yet. We've not had too many people bring out the Carson quotes. God, I hate that Carson quote. <laughs> anyway, are we gonna are we gonna move oh, on? No, 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 no. Because I want to make this point. Sorry. Um, look, at the end of the day, people are saying like, why does why does why does the DUP keep not being backed up by London? And it's like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. One point nine million people. Don't get to tell the other 63 million what to do. And it's not 1.9 million, is it? It's at best half of 1.9 million. It's, you know, 950,000 people. And it's not really 950,000. It's probably closer to, you know, 600,000, 700,000 that are really unhappy with the protocol at a high estimate. They don't get to dictate what the rest of us do. The problem with with Ulster unionism for a long, long time. Um, um, you know, both led by the DEP or led by the the Ulster unionists, or before that, led by the like pan community official unionists, is then they're not they're not really a unionist party in the way they operate. They're not like Scottish Labour or Welsh Labour or the Scot or, or the Tory Party in either country. They operate more like Plaid Cymru or pre-2007 SNP. Yeah, they're also nationalists. They're also nationalists. They're like, you know, what's in it for us? Let's argue for our narrow interests. They're not good at making pan-UK arguments that might persuade people. 
And look, the reality of the situation is if the DUP had seen where this was going and they had plenty of warning signs of where this was going, they they should have started advocating for soft Brexit in 2017, at the latest 2018. And you know what? The DUP started advocating for soft Brexit in 2018. We might have got it. Yeah. They were that central in that parliament. They were huge, uh, yeah. They're sorry, hugely important. They're hugely important, and as you say, they are. Once they've made a decision, they generally stick together on the on these things. I mean, the, I had another. I'm annoyed because I had I had another. I had a point there. I was, but yeah, carry on. So yeah, so I'm just going to say, like, do you the reason why also unionism keeps losing? It's because it doesn't make arguments that resonate with the rest ah, of the country. Yes. Sorry, that was the point. Sorry, I remember that. Sorry, I remember. Yes, you. You. Is that not because, unlike Scottish Labour, well, Scottish Labour is a slightly odd one because obviously now it's the you know the, the, the opposition to the SNP. But like, is this not because the DUP don't have to fight UK wide political parties? They oddly they have to fight Ireland wide political party, Ireland wide political party in Sinn Fein. But like. They don't ever have to make UK-wide arguments because, you know, the Conservatives, the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats don't stand in Northern Ireland. So they're not used to making those cases because there's no one there's no one on the political scene making oh, them. See, see, this is where you're going to get me in trouble because I got shouted at by people with this suggestion. Um, um, I, if, if, I, if, I, if I was like, had a magic wand... I would no the eighteen seats Northern Ireland already gets. I would turn into a single STV constituency. Now, there's no good reason for for, for to use first past the post uh, for Westminster elections for Northern Ireland. Um, there's no reason why every single seat has to be elected under the same electoral system. That wasn't the way out this, this the, the Parliament worked until 1950. Um, so I, I would, I would, I would have a single SCV election. That means that the DUP and Sinn Fein can no longer blackmail their voters, their their, their opponents. You know, you can't, you can't split the vote. Otherwise, the other community will nab a seat. Um, you know, make it much easier for for the minor parties to contest the two hegemons. Um, um, and it and and. Brilliance of STVs, it doesn't stop independents being successful because, again, of votes, they would meet the threshold to be elected. Um, I would also, I've amended this because I originally said six MPs, which is slightly insensitive on my part. Um, let's say, I don't know, seven or eight MPs. I'll go on one per county. Well, that was it. That was kind of where I think I got it from, which was probably where I got my... No, actually, I got it from a third. Like, they have 18 seats. So a third of the seats is six. So let's say seven or eight. Um, I would have a second ballot, which is only for GB passes. And you have it where, you know, you must have contested, you know, 500 plus seats... You must be contesting 500 plus seats in in Great Britain to 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 field candidates for these additional seats as a way of getting Northern Irish politics to think more about UK wide issues because it's not as if the UK government 
doesn't have a lot of sway and power over North Island. It does. Um, you know, it does make a difference to the people of Northern Ireland, whether we have a Tory or a Labour government. And they should have a say. But, like, it's not easy to see how you would ever get that unless you kind of almost force it. Um, but, yes, I think I think the, in- the other thing we should say is, is one of the interesting things will be, and this is a, a thing that got picked up, I think, unfairly, from Rishi Sunak's comments. Rishi Sunak said, you know, Northern Ireland's in a unique, special position because they'll have um, access, no, privileged access to both the European and British markets. Now, this was kind of jumped on by people as I, oh, 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 look at the Brexiteers saying it'd be good to be part of the European single market, which isn't really what Sunak was saying. He, he, uh, I can never pronounce this. It's arbitrage? Arbitrage? Arbitrage. Arbitrage. Um, you know the the manipulation of differences in neighbouring markets uh, to to gain a, a to gain a commercial advantage. If if all of the UK was still in the European single market, Northern Ireland wouldn't have a special position to exploit. It would be other down the Scottish Highlands, the most remote part from continental Europe of you know these isles, you know of of Britain and 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 the island of Ireland. Um, whereas actually, you know, in theory, you might get a situation where you do get um, manufacturers, producers wanting to be based in Northern Ireland because it's a way of getting stuff into both Great Britain and the Republic um, without having to worry too much about the regulations. Like it, it gives you that privileged access, maybe. Um, and if that is the case, if that, if that is what happens, um, as Sam McBride was writing in the Belfast Telegraph today, that it, that does potentially help the union because, you know, the, the best argument for Irish unification is, is, is the sense that Northern Ireland has fallen behind the Republic. Now, it should be said that that's not as true as people may have all sorts of tech complicated technical reasons um um but if you could you know if if this deal was to help northern ireland really start booming that would make a big difference and it has to be said yet again don't know if any of you guys saw this this um <clears throat> super poll of the nevers um that the belfast telegraph did so they 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 did the uh university of liverpool um, commissioned a, a poll of like 2,000 people who don't identify as unionist or nationalist and of that poll 53% um, uh, back continued membership of the union um, so yeah after all that's happened I mean this is the thing it's like you know we're, we're a bad boyfriend to uh, the rest of the UK, of the UK after all that's happened, we've got majorities in opinion polls saying Scotland wants to stay in the Union, and the majority of people in Northern Ireland still want to stay in the Union. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really difficult to break up existing states. Yes. Really, yeah. really fucking difficult. I mean, it is one of those things, like, you would think that if, yeah, <laughs> if it was going to happen, taking, taking part of your country out of a trading block 
that you had voted in Scotland's case by quite a significant margin, by in Northern Ireland's case by quite a narrow margin, to stay part of would have been the thing that would have done it. But as you say, it hasn't happened. Now, on the people ju- on on the Remainers jumped up and down point. Now, everything you may have said may well be true, and I understand what you're saying about arbitrage between two uh, economic zones and all of that stuff, but. If Northern Ireland starts becoming economically significant, like more successful, and to be honest with you, because so little news comes out of Northern Ireland, if you start getting a slight, some some stories coming out of Northern Ireland looking more successful than than the UK, you know, it's the classic, if you're explaining, you're losing thing, right? If, if you know, if you are, start, you know, the, it's a much easier argument to make being in the EU is better for you. Being, you know, in a soft Brexit position, being in the European single market, whatever it is, is better for your economy than not, is an easier argument to make than the one that you've just made. And it might not be that it's an entirely fair argument, but hey, this is politics, and when has that ever mattered? I think my argument was first quite simple. But, but can we, okay, before we go, can we, can, can I, can I get a rule in from the two of you? Is it, was the Polish ambassador right to take offence um, to Keir Starmer saying, oh, my God, these toys are so useless. We, we may be poorer than Poland before they're, yeah, they're but out the, of office. Yes, but the, the, the thing is, that's not because that's not because the British standard of living is massively declining. It's because Poland's standard of living is massively increasing. Yeah, no, no, we're not, we're not, yeah, but, yeah, but both, uh, both uh, of those things are true. <laughs> But our, well, no, our, our standard of living isn't declining. It's just not increasing as much as other people. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of that is due to the exchange rate. It's not, it's not real. It's just yeah, so it's, depreciated. It's, it's purchasing power parity. It's a, yes. it's a, it's a mirage. But the point is, Poland's had like coming up three decades of EU structural funds, and it's managed to and. It's been the most successful um, country in Eastern Europe in terms of in terms of reforming its economy. This is not some, this is not something to be this isn't something to be worried about or upset by. But, but do you think the Polish ambassador is right to say it's xenophobic? Now you know, like you're trying to say, oh my God, Britain's fallen behind this backward place. But it's not. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but do, no, no, no. But but but. What what the Polish ambassador is saying is that's the implication of what Starmer's saying. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think it is offensive. I think what, he's ignorant. I think he's ignorant as well. What do you What do you think, Simon? I, I, it's it's a, you know, it is not. I think it is. There is a the question I would ask to to to. I know I'm not really answering your question immediately, but like to to both of you, like. Is this the you know is Germ are are comparative economies in and the across the rest of Western Europe, France, Germany, the Netherlands, these sort of you know, are they are they falling behind? Are they are they also having this same situation where they're going to be overtaken by Poland, but we're, Slovenia but we're, in recent years? So, so here's the thing, right? We're not going to be overtaken by them. It's again, it's if you look at purchasing power parity, there is no change. Like literally, there is no change. Like I, I remember looking this up. Um, back in like October, November, you know, before the referendum, we we're roughly seventy percent as rich as Germany, and today we're roughly seventy percent as rich as Germany. 
you know, the, you know, if you look at the exchange rate and you look at, you know, the pound is less valuable than it was back then, it, you know, you get like this massive change. But if you actually factor that in, there, there has been no big change. Luke is right that, you know, part of the reason why Poland has became a richer country is that it's got billions being pumped in every year from from other from out from outside its borders you know like this and i think this is why it is I, i'm not saying it's necessarily by the way but by the way i'm not complaining about that i think that does more to promote peace and security in europe than just about anything else and therefore it's a good thing um but there's a good job we're not taking part in that effort anymore right yeah <laughs> gotcha um but um but then like the, the, the point that i was gonna make is is that you know yeah like if britain had billions being pumped in by overseas countries we'd be quickly get richer yeah um, unfortunately no one's off no one's offering us that and uh, by the way to, uh, to answer your question simon yes poland will be Using the same measure, Poland will overtake France. I'm not sure about um, the Netherlands. I haven't looked at the Netherlands, but I did look for France. And yes, <laughs> okay. they are in the same the, 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 the thing is, all right, so this is where I... Because I, I was having this argument with uh, Sunder Kotwali. Yeah. Um, you know, if... You know, when people... Because you were saying, well, well, well late, no, people on the left compare us to Germany. I was like, yeah, when they compare us to Germany, they, they, they have specific points... It's like because he was talking about you know how how well Eastern Germany's doing. So yeah, and they say like, look, let's have their devolution, let's have their greater local government tax base, let's have investment in the regions. No one is saying that with Poland. No one's saying let's copy the Polish economic model because we all know it's impossible to copy it because primarily it's have massive catch-up growth after being in a communist dictatorship for the best part of 50 years. Sorry, best part of 40 years even. Um, that would have been the best well, part. Well, no, and you're actually, you're actually understating it. And have your, your national economy virtually wiped out by two of the most brutal occupations yes. ever visited yeah. on. Yeah. Um, and then, but, but then have all this money pumped into you from 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 other countries gain get, have a one off boost from gaining new access to markets and out and inward investment from overseas um and also let's be honest have much more brutal attitude to workers rights product regulation healthcare lower, healthcare lower taxation like Keir Starmer isn't holding up Poland as a positive example that should inspire us. To <laughs> yeah, do I, yeah, like 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 you say. Well, I don't think your average member of the Labour Party wants like they, you know, they they kind they kind of are a little bit Singapore on the Vistula. <laughs> but yeah, yes, that's good. <laughs> but like, yeah, like. So like it is clearly like look and again you can't take the politics as a politics <laughs> it's a it's a no it's a good line but it is no the reason why it works is because it is xenophobic it's 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 tapping into this idea that no no fuck you Poland we're British we deserve a bit higher standard of living than you do um and this is the type of attitude that gets other people in, in overseas to think British people are awfully superior. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, you know. But um, but... talking of feeling awfully superior, how do we all think? <laughs> how do we all think? Well, well done. That is, uh, that is a segue. That is a segue. How do you think we all all compare morally <laughs> and ethically to uh, Isabel uh, Oaksha? <laughs> um, an acquaintance of mine put up a really good tweet about this. Um, Isabel Isabel Oaksha may get in trouble for break for breaking for breaking Scorpion non stinging agreement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Simon. You work in public affairs. <laughs> you, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, I, don't, I, don't, I work in public relations, but yes. You often yes. have people take take you into their confidence. Have you ever thought about divulging all that sensitive information to the Telegram? I mean, yes, but you know, um, obviously, <laughs> no, no. If anybody no, no, from no. Simon's workplace, no, 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 I, 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 can I can I finish the sentence? But obviously, I wouldn't do that. But I mean, what I enjoy is that Matt Hancock is possibly the first person in human history to both be a member of <laughs> a leopards eating faces party with, in, in in relation to the Liberal Democrats, and then be a victim of a leopards eating faces movement in relation to Isabel Oakshaw. I mean, I'm sorry, but. If you talk to Isabel Oakeshott, a woman for whom for whom media ethics is a thing that happens to other people, <laughs> I mean, frankly, you you got what you cut. You've got what's coming to you. I I I like. I think it's one of these ones where it's like, like as somebody who is kind of a journalist, um, you're in a pit. You're in a pit. You're a columnist, well, not a journalist. You have written journalism for on, on the wrestling well, stuff. Well, no, but even opinion columnists are it, yeah, journalists. No, they're, indeed, not, they're, not, I agree. they're not reporters. Yeah. yeah. But, all right. You know, okay. All right. All right. You're a journalist. You're a journalist. Um, but yeah, but as I said, like, I have done, I've not done much reporting, but I have done reporting um, when I used to do the wrestling stuff. It is just the most blatant breach of ethics you know that's, the, that's imaginable like you just don't do this and she's done it twice because of course she did this to Aaron Banks as well um, but then of course you get the thing off well quite funny when bad things happen to Aaron Banks it's it's quite it's it's quite Even funny when... funnier when it happens to Mac. Well, I was about to say like I, I was about to say that. I was like, no, nah, actually, do I? It's it's probably equally funny when bad things happen to evil. <laughs> but um, so like I can't get too upset about it. I do. Have, have any of you followed the like the second front of this whole fiasco? What did you mean? News International is livid. Because she she has a deal with uh, Talk TV. Oh, okay. And like she's meant to be like she's got like some like she's 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 a freelancer, but she has a contract to be like there. I can't remember what it is like editor at large or something goofy like that. <laughs> That's not a job. I'm and, sorry. And, and, I, I, I I know people who call themselves editors at large, and all of them don't have real jobs. <laughs> Every um, time you see the word editor at large, it means I can't. I they can't be bothered to fire me. <laughs> one second, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at what the actual title is because it's 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 like that, but it's not quite. Uh, not quite that. Uh, one second. Is it uh, international editor? Oh no, okay, that sounds like oh, no, a yeah, no, job. that's a proper job. 
I don't think it is in this case. <laughs> um, um, but um, and like they are livid with her. Like they are completely Understand, blind. Like, understandably, I mean, you shouldn't commit massive breaches of journalistic ethics. But if you are going to commit massive breaches of journalistic ethics, at least do it for the company you're actually employed by. <laughs> this is the thing I don't understand. Like, I really want to. I really. I'd like to buy Isabel Oakshot a coffee and just sit her down and go, Isabel, what are you? What are your future career plans? Because you do realise that nobody is ever going to pick up the phone to you ever again. Well, the Telegraph will. Yeah. Just... No, but, Be- but, but but like, what is she going to write for the Telegraph? Like, she'll no write, one is going, no write, one is going write, to talk to her. She'll write, te- she'll, write, she'll write tedious screeds about, I don't know, whatever the enemy of the week is this week, you know, drag queens or, you know, Labour MPs. Actually, being a screaming, nonsensical columnist who has no sources left anymore it, on the right is going to have, is it, going to be a pretty, you know useful seem to mine in once the Labour Party win the next election. Well, this is one of the things I, I'm really worried about, because the Tory party does get smashed. It's not going to be like 97, 98, where the Tory press kind of goes away and licks its runes for like a year to 18 months. No. They they are they are going to go full crazy, and the week yeah, of the Yeah, they're going to they're be on Keir Starmer, like, white on rush. And the, the crazy, and like the thing is, like that may not really hurt Keir Starmer that much, because like the, these these aren't actually that very influential now. In terms, well, they are influential. They're not that widely read anymore. But if the, the weaker the Tory Party is, the less the harder it will be for the Tory Party to face down um, this right wing. Media uh, entertainment complex, um, but yeah, no, I, I, it's very funny that it's happened to Mac Hancock. It it really isn't a done thing to do. Um, can I can I just because one of the one of the things I find one of the things I find most disturbing about this whole fiasco is that you've now got a bunch of people on you know the far right, the GB News. Yeah, the GB News ecosystem going, see, see, we told you, COVID well, was a plot. They were just making it up, damn it. Well, Peter Hitchens is, is actually doing Simpsons references now to uh, show how right he was. Well, well, that's kind of... Isn't that kind of... I haven't read it because the Telegraph is behind the paywall and it's the Telegraph and also paying money and, and, I got. I got to ask, what Simpsons reference is he doing? Oh well, classically, this this is after the Simpsons stopped being good. So you know, contrary to the end, um, yeah. Pete Hitchens. Um, it's um, it's one from like 2010 where they made fun of the idea of cat flu, um, being being something to keep people indoors so they'd watch more TV. Like oh, it is. Uh, it oh, is actually. How, oh how droll. It is actually quite eerie because it's again this is from 2010. It is actually quite eerie. Um, but the reason why he re- he dug it out again was because one of the revelations was that one point they were going to tell everybody to kill their cats. Which... Uh, because no, which makes sense because cats get coronaviruses. Because I, I remember um, 
talking to my friend Eddie, um, who was very skeptical of the ability to create a quick vaccine because it's something the veterinary profession struggled with for, for years and years. Sorry, Simon. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel that the, the, the Telegraph's kind of, the, the project that this all comes out of itself is a bit of a coronavirus was a bit of a scare no i mean not quite the, but certainly the lock the lockdown was essentially a scare yeah. which like well she, not, you've, you've she, still got you've still got fraser nelson banging on about sweden and it's like no have you seen that, how many people have died in sweden it's quite no, a lot so that was a complete was a complete and total cross, that was a complete and total clusterfuck but um, it, 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 I mean, Isabel Oakshot has explicitly said she took it to the Telegraph because they were the most against lockdown of the major newspapers. Which again, like, is one of these ones where it's like, what Matt Hancock thought he was doing by <laughs> taking what? taking this to her. Like, I mean, there's rumours that she did it for free, which again well, is like... Well, that's what she's claiming. I mean, I was, I listened, she had a, she was on the news agents podcast, which is, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a curious way. Um, yeah, you see, <laughs> I can hear Luke's delight. About, but, you know, like, they're three good journalists. Is, that, to... is that the Kathy Newman interview where she, she put No, the that's tied. Right? that's tied right Okay. So this is amazing. She, she's going around various people who could employ her in the future and pissing them off. But, but yeah, she, she is claiming, at least in the interview... Now, I, now, now, Simon, that, that the, news she... a, the news agent's got employer. She never worked for Newsnight. Yeah, but okay, but there are various. She's got, but she has she has claimed that she was not paid money directly for the book, but that she's got some of the cut. She's got a cut of the the serialization deal, which I think was in the mail. Now, I don't care about. I'm not Isabel Oakshot's accountant, which is good because it means I never have to speak to her, which means that she'd never leak our conversations. And so, oh, oh. so I don't know how much her accountant. Paid, she... Her accountant is the last person she'll leak stuff to. <laughs> leak stuff from even. Sorry, carry on, Simon. Well, no, just that. Like she, she's, she's sort of, she is claiming. Yeah, she is claiming she has not been paid as a ghostwriter for this book. She also claims, and I, I, I genuinely, I do not believe anything this woman says about anything. She claims that she writes about a book a year as a ghostwriter. It may be true. I don't know. I'm not going to look into it. Um, I, she may well be a good... This is the thing. She may well be a very good writer because there are lots of deeply objectionable people who are also good writers. Um, I haven't read Matt Hancock's book. I mean, the the um, the reviews were not, were, not, were not praiseworthy. Let's put it that way. Diary that isn't a diary. Oh, uh, is, that, is, that your, is that the primary problem? It's like, this isn't a diary. You can't call you can't call it a diary, and then write stuff specifically to put in it. That's not how a diary works. Well, this is what Piers this is what Piers Morgan did, isn't it? We really <laughs> are going round the houses of deeply objectionable people in this section. Piers Morgan did the same gimmick of having a fake diary and um, be as, uh, as a book. I mean. To me, like I just feel it's like five alarm fire when so, a a journalist agrees to do something for free, um, <laughs> and let alone write a book. Uh, I, I like the way that even with your tone of voice, you could tell the journalist is in inverted commas. 
It's just like, you know, like, clearly they are working some of her angle. Um, Maybe she's having an affair with her as well. <laughs> well, with, with Hancock's, Hancock's girlfriend. No, no, no. I, I'm saying maybe is it like Shutton Matt Hancock had an affair. No, you maybe said her. I know, yeah. but I misspoke. Maybe they're no, all yeah, but having I, a I, lovely I, I prefer. I prefer what I was thinking about, to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, as we, as we said, like, Charlie Brooker got Matt Hancock right. He's your sister's boyfriend with a car. <laughs> Well, no, he's he's not that now, is he? He's, I don't know what he is now. He's um, he's your sister's boyfriend without a car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just. I I just feel very sorry for the poor uh, poor constituents of West Suffolk, who have have got like new market racecourses in his constituency, and there must be so many thoroughbred horses looking at this, going, "I could do a better job." <laughs> I thought you were going to go with. If this had happened to me, they'd shoot me. <laughs> well, they're both they're both good ways of running the horse <laughs> racing metaphor and Matt Hancock's career. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in terms of the revelations, I mean, it it shows Boris Johnson was itching to get rid of the restrictions as soon as he could, which does help explain why the the COVID doves went so easy on him. When Partygate broke, which never really made a lot of sense to me. It's like, well, this is a guy who imposed restrictions. He didn't follow himself. Surely, of all people, the COVID doves should be the, the, the most angry. Um, shows Rishi Sunak was also a leading COVID dove. Um, um, shows <laughs> the kind of. Yeah, but, but I do always kind of think of that with Rishi Sunak. This man is costing me ten thousand dollars a day. I demand that he be allowed to die with dignity. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and it does show, you know, you had that Hancock Gove Cummins alliance, which is very, which is funny because he Cummins eventually turns on Hancock quite badly, but like clearly they are kind of in lockstep to a certain extent. Oh, but oh, also. Also, I'm starting to I'm starting to I'm starting to reevaluate my opinion of uh, teaching people maths till they're 18 because my God, Matt Hancock doesn't understand probability. No, it's Johnson. It's Johnson that doesn't Johnson. understand probability. It's just like... Is there anyone in this government in that government that actually has more than like three brain cells to rub together? It's genuinely remarkable any of us have survived this the last few years. Rishi Sunak, but he's a complete yeah, ideologue. Rishi, uh, Rishi, 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 Rishi Sunak, Rishi Sunak, Michael Gove. Actually, you know, people keep saying about Michael Gove, but honestly, like at some point, I'm sure I'll end up writing about this, but like. Has Michael Gove done anything that's not been a disaster? Yes, yeah, we've had he, he, he pay, he, yes, he pays for the cladding removal. Okay, over, 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 right over, over, over than that, we've like, had this like, conversation. Well, we've like, had this conversation on the podcast. Like the, the, the stuff we're farming is a, is 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 not a particularly slow moving disaster now for the Tory Party. Like he he is so overrated as a minister. Like, I guess it. Like, he's got energy and he's got ideas, and most ministers have neither in that, in this particular, in this particular government. But he has no, he has very little wisdom other than Payne Simons Cladden. Um, but yes, any, any other thoughts on uh, the lockdown files? I just really want, I just really hope 
that Isabella Oakshot manages to stay on Michael Ashcroft's good side because that's all she's doing from now on is ghostwriting his books. See, I disagree. I, I, I think one of the really depressing things is how, like, she doesn't even feel the need to pretend she has ethics or integrity. Like, I think, <laughs> like, like it is like the... Our right wing press is becoming Fox News, where they don't even have to pretend to follow normal journalistic practice. So, she, like Simon said, she'll have, she'll have a column in the Telegraph, and it, and and it'll all be grand. Um, um, yeah, that that'll be her future. So, you think she's going to be like the British what Ann Coulter? No, nah, so you've said this to me before, but like she's not an ideologue. Ann Coulter's an ideologue. Okay. She, she's Megan Kelly. Okay. Um, well, she's blonde. Yeah. But like Ann, Ann Coulter, like Ann Coulter's an ideologue. Like Ann Coulter, you know, as horrible a person as she is, she does actually believe in horrible things. Uh, Isabella Oakshop believes in nothing. Um, so yeah, no, she'll she'll just she'll just end up being a uh, rent a crow for the Telegraph, most most likely. Um, but yes, um, talking of people who have, who have got new jobs, uh, Sue Gray. Now, we, me and Luke on Twitter, fulminated about this uh, her being appointed a new. I'm still well, quite. I'm, I'm still quite new, angry about new this, chief actually. of staff of the Labour Party. Well, before we fulminate together, Simon, what do you think about Sue Gray becoming the new chief of staff of the Labour Party, if if she gets to? Yeah, I mean, you know what I said. I didn't care about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Yeah, I really yes. don't. I really don't care this because I really don't care about this. And I think in, for the first time in my adult life, I think I probably speak for most. Like the problem we, that there are a couple of problems this highlights, and you know we have a problem that as a centralised system, if you want someone with executive experience who has experience how government works. You've really got to hire from the Nash from the civil service, which is a problem. Now, that's an issue. No, you don't. No, you don't. And like the like, if Sue Gray, what if, if Sue Gray hadn't written that report, this story wouldn't really be a story. Really, it's not. It's don't heckle him. Luke. But it would. It wouldn't. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, senior civil service. I mean, you know, they're you. Know, you know, most most senior civil servants are barely famous in their own lounge. So, like, fine. And and I don't think this is going to be, you know, it is clearly the case that there are loads of people who were civil servants. The reason lots of people become civil servants, let's be absolutely honest about this, and I know that both me and Luke have, have you know, attempted to become civil servants with a fast stream in the past, um, is because you're interested in politics and government and you want to go and get involved. Now, those people, as similarly... And there are similarities here with becoming a political reporter at the BBC. Um, you, you are you are expected, obviously, to maintain the strictest uh, levels of neutrality whilst doing that work, as you do at the BBC. But plenty of people have gone from the civil service to take roles in other political organisations. I I guess before we bring in Luke, who's kind of bursting at the bits. Um, I I I had the interesting idea, which I've seen other people have as well, 
since this was announced, that there is probably an argument just to give the leader of the opposition a permanent secretary. Um, as you know, as part of the package of short money they get, and that you just second to the opposition a permanent secretary and a bunch of other civil servants that are there to manage their official help and manage their official duties, help with the development of policy as part of you know, sub, su- no, supporting the opposition, supporting good, go- uh, supporting good governance, helping make sure the transition is as smooth as possible. There is probably a very good argument for that to be something to be considered um, and wouldn't be that big a change in practice to how things are already done. Um, Luke, do you want to say why this is a bad idea? Yeah, this is a terrible, awful, catastrophic, I think, catastrophically bad idea. And if Rishi Sunak can find any way to do it, he should block the supplies. And I'll tell you for what, like, it's been compared with Jonathan Powell and Ed Llewellyn, who were both civil servants who went to work as chiefs of staff for Tony Blair and David Cameron, respectively. But I'm sorry, that is that is in no way comparable. They, they are in no way comparable with Sue Gray. Both of those were foreign office civil servants who, at the time they were appointed, had been working abroad in the case of Ed Llewellyn in Paris, in the case of uh, Paris and the former Yugoslavia, in the case of Jonathan Powell um, in the United States. For a long time, they were not in day-to-day contact with senior ministers. The, The comparison would be, what would have happened if David Cameron or Tony Blair had hired Gordon Brown or uh, John Majors Foreign Affairs and uh, Northern Ireland um, Secretary. So that it's not comparable. Sue Gray has been at the heart of Westminster for the last, what, 14, 15 years? She was the senior civil servant in charge of government ethics. That means she will have seen the security service file and the police file of every major cabinet appointee and every major appointee to a public body for the last decade and a half. And now she's just meant to have like a Damascene moment where she forgets all of that? Where that does where that will not be used in her new role at all? Come on. I how how are we supposed to expect and let, let's say Keir Starmer wins after the next election. And let's say he appoints, let's say, you know, Rachel Reeves has as her, one of her private secretaries, a civil servant whose politics clearly lean to the centre-right. How is she supposed to confide in that person? How is she supposed to let that person into her innermost thoughts, knowing that at any moment he can pop off and run, and run um, CCHQ? The whole, the whole point, the whole way the British system is meant to work is people at Stu Gray's level of seniority are not just meant to act impartially. They're meant to be impartial. Stu Gray should not be getting another job. I mean, I know she can, but if in my ideal world, once you reach Stu Gray's level of seniority, it should be impossible for you to get a job outside of the civil service at all. 
You right? You done? Yeah, I think this is a dread. I think this is a really, really, really shitty thing to do. From Starmer, from Gray, from everybody. So this is I, unacceptable. So I, I have a few things out of this. So at, I, I kind of pretty much agree with what everything Luke said. I would add a few things. I think. You know, justice is about not just things being fair, but being seen to be fair. And I know, look, I know Johnson and his outriders are acting in bad faith when they are making the accusation that the Sue Gray report was rigged or was Yeah, by the, by the way, that has nothing to do with why this appointment is unacceptable. Well, I disagree. I disagree, actually, because I think, you know, whilst you can, you can state... That's that Johnson is no, his Johnson is outright acted in bad faith. I don't think any of us would be very happy if we were investigated for something and found guilty. <coughs> we were found innocent, to be honest, but it was a very embarrassing, awkward process. And then the person who did that investigation benefited from our misfortune or went to work from for somebody who stood to benefit from our misfortune you don't have to be a one-eyed partisan in favor of boris johnson or the tory party to say you know what this doesn't smell right that the woman who led the investigation to boris johnson is now working for uh, the person who is seeking to replace his party um, um at the next election um, I think the point Luke made that this is different is, is extremely important, both in terms of the seniority of Sue Gray um, and the proximity to the to to, to the principles in Downing Street, um, I, I and also the sensitivity of the work she did. I would also say those appointments were wrong too. Like I feel there has been a diminution of standards, a decline of standards since those appointments were made. Those appointments were wrong. They shouldn't have been allowed to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they have turned out to be the fit end of the wedge, the, the start of a slippery slope. And part of what makes Sue Gray's appointment so bad is that this is of a piece with so many former civil servants um, former senior civil servants, rather than taking a self-denying audience, ordinance um, after when they go into retirement, want to pontificate about every single issue that happens in politics, giving us the benefit of their opinions. Yes, I'm looking at you, McPherson. Uh, yeah, and, and, and Peter Ricketts. Um, uh, and fundamentally Luke's right no it is going to be much harder for anybody in Sue Gray's position moving forward to 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 command the same trust and respect and authority because people will see them as somebody who could tomorrow be working for the opposition um I you know I think there is a broader issue of our civil service in that we have moved away from the, the way the system was envisaged in a piecemeal, ad hoc, poorly thought through way um, um, that, that, that has basically landed us with the worst of all worlds. The civil service doesn't have the authority or the independence it once had from the government of the day. And I think Simon Case's deplorable conduct 
no, which which by the way was further lampshaded um by by the the Matt Hancock's tech uh, yeah. yeah um yeah. shows the problems of the way civil service uh recruitment's being done there. But equally, we don't have a fully transparent, open process um, that 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 actually makes full use of the breadth of people that that government could recruit. We're in this weird hodgepodge where it's pretty much still a civil service closed shop, but ministers have much more power to play favourites and set civil servants against each other. Um, so it's an absolute fucking mess. And, uh, you know, Sue Gray, look, there's a very good chance she ends up not taking up this role. Um, no, other people have tried to move from uh, from from government into other roles. I think Guido Fawkes had like that. There was somebody who was trying to do something like this and got uh, I think there was somebody wanted to take up a position as a crossbench peer and got told they had to wait a year by Sue Gray before they could take up their role. Um, now, I can't imagine Labour would wait a year for Sue Gray to become Chief of Staff, because they need one now. Um, well, maybe they would, because they see her as somebody more for government. Um, I think it's a really, really bad idea. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible idea. It's... it's, it's, it's breathtaking how bad an idea this is and for somebody like Keir Starmer who is meant to be you know Mr Squeaky Clean Mr Good Government to entertain this idea I think says quite a lot actually and if I were if I were if I were if I were a member of the PLP I don't know what universe that would be but if I were a member of the PLP disappointment would worry me on a couple of levels Firstly, I think it shows terrible. Firstly, I think it shows terrible judgment all round. Second, like I think it's a very strange appointment because the fact is a large part of a large part of Sue Gray's role is going to be managing, you know, is going to be managing internal relationships within the Labour Party. We, we, I mean, I don't know whether you guys can remember back this far. But you remember when Gordon Brown brought in Stephen Carter um, as his chief of staff and he lasted about six months because his background was sort of, you know, organisation, time and, you know, um, time and movement. No, you, don't, you, don't, you don't even go that far, that far, that, yeah. that far back. Look at Dan Rosenfield for Jaboris Johnson. Yeah, exactly. So, and also, like, I think it... I think it speaks to, to a tendency in Keir Starmer that I would be really worried about if I were a Labour Party member, which is he is a technocrat and he surrounds himself with technocrats. And you can't take the politics out of politics. So this, now, this, this, this is, sorry, this is the bit where I do, because this is the bit I actually find interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I can't, I, I, I just, I, I think you make some, some fair and some interesting points, certainly about, um, you know, the need to trust civil, senior civil servants. I, <laughs> I, yeah, whatever. I, 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 I can't, I, I basically, I, I refuse to get myself too excited. I, I can't get as excited about it, but I think that this does speak to some, this speaks to elements of Keir Starmer's personality and his politics 
Well, firstly, of course, there was a, there was a big question about whether Keir Starmer has politics. Yeah. But, like, secondly, it's one of those moments where I kind of... I will still almost certainly vote Labour at the next election. Let's be completely clear about this. Because, you know, I see them as the... I see them as the, you know the pest control man who will deal with the deal with the current situation of the current conservative party i'll almost certainly vote labor as well the lesser lesser of two weevils yay i like that very good plus i'll I'll enjoy voting against Stuart anderson to be honest (laughs) that that is i think that's the thing there's gonna be a lot of people in seats like yours who are like oh we elected a conservative to get brexit done but what we ended up with was a complete lunatic the people of Ashfield, for one thing. I'll do what I always do, vote against the SNP, so I'm going <laughs> to vote Lib Dem. <laughs> well, this is it. You're in quite a nice place. Yeah, but I think it does say something. Yeah, I do worry about Keir Starmer's manager, managerial nature. I think things like he's also clearly not, a, he's not a freedom. Of, I think Stephen Bush made this point. No, he's not going to, this is not going to be a freedom of information friendly government this is going you know this is not going to be you know this is not going to be a government which is about you know transparency and openness and stuff that's not you know that's not why you appoint someone like sue gray and however this has happened it says something about the sort of primate you know i believe a keir starmer led country is going to be better than one led by that has been better than the one we are currently living in but it doesn't, this is the sort of thing is like, oh, this is why I'm not a member of the Labour Party, because it's this bit, it's the social illiberalism, it's the it's the managerial bit that does not... Oh, that's, that's, that's the best bit. You see, Bill, this is why you and I, this is where this podcast works. We have very different views on certain things, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had somebody at work say, you know, they're socialists because they don't they don't like bureaucracy, and I'm like, that's not my socialism. <laughs> well, it's, it's I mean, it's, I I feel I feel you need to welcome you know you need to go. I'm going to give you this book called The History of the Soviet Union and all of its all of the ways they cut through bureaucracy. <laughs> the um the, the one thing I would add as well is like Sue Gray for most because like even before she did the role Luke was talking about the 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 director of the ethics position. Yeah, she was in a similar role beforehand. Like, there's this famous thing of, um, like Cameron wanting to do something when he gets into Downing Street in 2010, and Sue Gray says no. And I do worry a bit that she is a she's a knower, not a doer. Mm. And you know, the the one time she's actually trying to do things was when she went to Northern Ireland to be the head of the Northern Irish Civil Service. And she was, by all, no, she was basically a complete unmitigated disaster. And, you know, the DUP and Sinn Féin both agreed to get to get her the hell away from... from... I, I, I love that. She's so bad. She, she even brought together the DUP and Sinn Féin. Yes. Um, and so I do... Yeah, but I mean, I think part of that was she wasn't going to take their sort of nonsense. The sort of yeah, nonsense, but, frankly. But 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 part of being a chief, a good chief of staff, is you take politicians' yeah. nonsense. Yeah, with. that that that's very true. Actually, you do have to wade through a certain amount of nonsense. Um, you know, like this. No, you don't want to be John Kelly. You know, working for Donald Trump. You know, because like people will find it refreshing for for a few weeks, and then they'll hate your guts. And after they've got through <laughs> hating your guts, they'll just evade you. Um, <laughs> so we, I, I think we've all agreed that um, 
do you do we think there's a chance that this may be stopped from happening? I, I no. don't. I don't think it will, but I hope it will. Um, the the, the mood me the mood music coming out of Akoba or what, however you're meant to pronounce that. Oh, that 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 is. Of all of all the useless government quangos that needs like serious that needs either seriously beefing up or abolishing a cobra is pro- is one of the worst. Not quangos, it's a committee. Yeah, well, what is the what is the what is the fucking? It never fucking does anything. Well, no, but isn't it the thing of it? Like it only does things when you don't know it's done it. Well, but yeah, that's the thing. Stopping the this is the fact. This has even been made public. Is probably a sign that it's not going to because you like if this if this thing wasn't going to happen, we just would never have heard about well, it. I think I, I think the a leak, weird paragraph in a book ten in ten years time. I think the leak was from the Labour side, um, but it's the late. It's the it's. I don't think the Labour Party would have leaked it if they didn't. You know, maybe, maybe. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not convinced it happens. Um, can can we finish on the? One a scurrilous rumor that may or may not be true. Simon, oh. what? What? There's no scurrilous rumors about me. I'm a good boy. <laughs> Simon, do you think w- when she was a barmaid at a Northern Irish pub at the high school? No, no, no. Troubles, she was the like, she was the landlady. Landlady, land, landlady. Yeah, yeah. Her, her when, and her other half owned owned the, owned the yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah. When she was the landlady of a pub in Northern Ireland at the height of the troubles. And she mysteriously stopped being the landlady the minute the troubles were over and came back to the civil service as if nothing had happened. Yeah, you, no, you, no, loss, no loss of rank, no loss of pension, nothing. Do you think she really was the landlady of that pub or do you think she was a spook? No. I am sure that career civil servant Sue Gray by name, seemingly quite grey by nature, only went to become a landlady of a pub in Northern Ireland basically during a civil war because what she wanted was a drop of it was a, was a large dose of adrenaline I'm sure that's what happened I I think Simon's being sarcastic Luke what do you think I think she might as well be wandering around with a huge neon sign with a huge hat with a neon sign saying <laughs> I am a spook I, I just... Seriously, what, what I love about that is if you they're like the Sebastian Payne downfall of Boris Johnson uh, book mentions this, and then in the next sentence is something like, "But but friends of Sue Gray deny this was the case." No shit, Sherlock. My, my, wow. my, 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 well, look. that makes the, oh, that makes it perfectly all right then. No, no, no. I, I, what I want talking about podcasts that I actually don't listen to, and I'm not sure whether either of you do. I want her, when she's out of this current hoodoo, to be invited on the rest is politics with um, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart. So Rory Stewart and her can sit there and go, hey, so how was it like not being a spy? I also enjoyed not being a spy. (laughs) I mean, just, yeah, you were a spy, deal with it. I must admit, when Luke suggested that... You, it hasn't occurred to you. It hasn't well. occurred to me at all. Oh well, that that is that is very sweet. 
but I worry about you. I worry about, I worry that possibly as a child, did you listen to the man saying there was a box of puppies in his car and in fact could be confused why you, why you are now somewhere very far away? <laughs> oh yeah, he was a spy! He followed it up by telling me there's no such thing as Santa Claus. Yeah, oh, man, there's, no, there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best Marx Brothers gangs ever. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, on that note, I think by, the, by the way, we should we just make it clear we are only speculating about Sue Gray's status as a spy. Yes. None of us has any inside knowledge on this yes. point. Any complaints, please send to the IR department at the University of St. Andrews. Care of Dr. Luke Midder. But she was clearly, obviously, a spy. You should write this for the conversation, Luke. It, it always goes well when you take podcast topics and put, do them for the conversation. Never again. Never, never, never again. And on that note, I've been more calling. He's been Dr. Luke Middup. He's been Simon Harvey. And we might have just pricked the attention of all those weirdos who keep emailing Luke about about whether about his idea for doing a coup against Donald Trump. Also, Will, you sweet son of a child. I, 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 just, I love your naivety. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>